1: All those who are able, we invite you to stand out of respect for the Word of God, which comes to us today through the power of the Spirit from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 23, verses 1 through 11. Let us attend to the wisdom of the Word of God. While Paul was looking intently at the council, he said, Brothers, up to this day I have lived my life with a clear conscience before God. Then the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near him to strike him on the mouth. At this Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting there to judge me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law you order me to be struck? Those standing nearby said, do you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not realize, brothers, that he was high priest, for it is, it is written, You shall not speak evil of a leader of your people. When Paul noticed that some were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, he called out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dissension began between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Then a great clamor arose, and certain scribes of the Pharisees' group stood up and contended. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the the dissension became violent, the tribune, fearing that they would tear Paul to pieces, ordered the soldiers to go down, take him by force, and bring him into the barracks. That night, the Lord stood near him and said, Keep up your courage, for just as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: You may be seated.
0: Once again, you are invited to stand as you are able. For our second lesson, pull the hymn book from the pew rack and open it all the way to the back to page 531, unison reading number 60. As we attune our hearts and minds to God's word from 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter, as we read together these powerful words. Together, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we who are in Christ have only hope, we are of all men most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I tell you this, brethren. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Then shall become to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Pray with me, please. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And by the truth of Your Word, imparted by Your Spirit into our hearts and our lives today, may we live it out today and in the days to come for Your glory and Christ's sake. Amen. As I entered into the chapel this morning, somebody said, Pastor, is the sermon going to be on nothing again this week? I don't know if you remember, but that's what the sermon was about last week, nothing. I said, well, at least you were paying attention. I said, "I I understand now. I need to keep it simple for you, Mac McQueen. So this morning, we're going to talk about one thing, the one thing. How many of you are familiar with the movie City Slickers that came out in 1991? Y'all remember that movie? Well, a few of you. Some of you weren't alive in 1991. But it was a great movie. Uh, Two of the principal characters uh, were Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, and Curly, played by Jack Palance. Now Billy Crystal was an office type guy working in Manhattan approaching his 40th birthday and he and his friends felt like their lives were like amounting to nothing, they were kind of in the doldrums, no excitement, no real direction, what are we going to do, I have a great idea, let's go on a cattle drive. And so they leave the city and they go to the great southwest and there they meet Curly who is Jack Palance, the old rough and tugged, just the picture of of the, the consummate cowboy who was going to lead these city slickers uh, on this cattle drive. In one of the scenes, the scene that I'm thinking about this morning, is between Mitch, Billy Crystal, and Curly, Jack Palance, and they're riding on their horses together, and they're having a little conversation. And it goes like this. Jack Palance, Curly, says, do you know what the secret of life is? And Mitch says, no. what?" This, says Curly. Mitch looks at him rather puzzled and bewildered and says, Your finger? And Curly goes on to say, One thing, just one thing. You stick to that, and everything else doesn't amount to a hill of beans, he said. And then Mitch said, That's great. But what's the one thing? And then Curly says, that's for you to figure out. One thing. Just one thing. The most important thing. Have you figured out what that one thing is? Have you figured out the secret of life? Have you identified that one thing? The one thing that is most important to you? the one thing that you're to stick to, the one thing that puts everything else into perspective and priority. Well, for some of us, it may have been the success of our football team until we didn't do so well yesterday. And so that's taken its place on down the priority list. But what is that one thing for you? Is it being right all the time? Is it being well thought of? Is it being measured by the amount of money that you have made or that you make? Is that one thing being a good parent, a good student, a good friend? Is that one thing your family? Is that what means the most to you? Is it your career? Is it being secure in retirement that means the most to you? Could it be your faith? And the living relationship with the living Lord? What is your one thing? And when you find that one thing, everything else takes its proper place. It's a good question for us to ask ourselves. It's a good exercise for us to try to figure out. I believe the Apostle Paul had it figured out. It's revealed to us in chapter 23, actually throughout Paul's entire ministry, you could say. It is a clear red thread that runs through the entire tapestry. But it's revealed to us clearly here, I believe, in chapter 23 of Acts as we continue this series in this book of the Bible. Here we find Paul back in Jerusalem. Remember, he's been on three successful missionary journeys. He so desperately wanted to get to Jerusalem, and there he, we find him. And now because of the unrest that he has caused in the temple, he is under the Roman guard. Because of the disturbance at the, at the temple, he is now brought before the Sanhedrin. The Romans want to find out what is it this, that this man has done to cause this kind of commotion. And if there is anything worthy of, 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 of coming up on charges, then let's deal with it and identify it. And if he needs to go to a Roman court, we'll do that as well. But first, Paul is brought to his own court, the high court, the Sanhedrin, being a Jew and a Pharisee. And right out of the box in the reading this morning, we see that there is an audacious recklessness about Paul. Here he stands in front of the Sanhedrin, the high court of the Jewish people, and he addresses them right out of the box as brothers, brothers. That's a no-no. That's like calling the POTUS, the the President of the United States, good buddy. It's just not proper. It is not good protocol. But Paul starts out by calling them brothers when he should have, in proper decorum, addressed them as the rulers of the people, the the elders of Israel. When Ananias, the high priest, hears the word brothers come out of Paul's mouth, he requests that one standing next to Paul strike him in the mouth. Well, Paul comes right back at the high priest. And he says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. And the reason that Paul jumps back against the high priest saying, strike him in the mouth, because asking that a Jew be struck in the mouth was breaking one of the laws, the people. To strike strike an Israelite in the mouth was was to defame the glory of God. And Paul knew his law. And when Paul calls him a whitewashed tomb, He is making a a commentary on his character because Ananias was known to be a rather unscrupulous man in the conduct of his life outside of his public persona. And so Paul calls him a whitewashed wall. He says, you look all good on the outside, all dressed up in your robes, and your garments, but on the inside you are rotting, full of rotten bones. And when the people hear Paul speak about the high priest in this way, they say, how dare you speak to the high priest in this manner? And Paul said, oh my goodness. I didn't know that a person like Ananias could be the high priest or I wouldn't have spoken to him in that manner. Can you see again how he's piling it on? So now we come in this text to... Paul's crowning statement. This is how he gets it rolling, but now we come to his crowning statement, the core of his ministry, the meaning of his life. Here comes his one thing, and Paul says, I'm a Pharisee, son of the Pharisees, and with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. In essence, Paul is saying it is all about the resurrection. Why I am here standing before you today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't have to speak the name of Jesus, for they all know what he's referring to. This is Paul's one thing. His whole ministry, His whole life has been, is, and will be based on this one thing. The hope of the resurrection of the dead in Jesus. And not only the belief that Jesus was crucified, that He was dead, that He was buried and risen. It is this Saul... It is this this one who was named Saul who met the living Lord on the road to Damascus. We've heard him repeat his story time and time again. And this encounter, Saul's encounter with the living Lord, not at the tomb, but in the living of his life on the road to Damascus, it changed the trajectory of his life. It changed His direction, His purpose, His meaning, and now it has all taken this direction. This, because of this one thing, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, who is the Messiah, the centerpiece, the cornerstone of all of Paul's thought and ministry. And Paul writes about it repeatedly. He preaches about it. And because of the resurrection of the dead, Paul is willing to suffer. He is willing to sacrifice. He is willing to risk it all. He is willing to die to tell this message of God's love, God's power, God's grace demonstrated and manifest in the risen Lord. He is even willing to lose family and friends. And because of the resurrection of the dead, there is a dividing line that is drawn in Paul's life. And because of his mission and his ministry, there is a dividing line that is established. And so when Paul, standing in front of the Sanhedrin, says what he does about the resurrection of the dead, immediately there is a conflict, a division that is made plain within the high court between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the world of the Spirit and the things of angels and the sovereign God. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That is why they are sad. You see? In belief in the resurrection of the dead and Jesus Christ, things like that happen in our lives. And for Paul, it all hinges on the resurrection. In his letter part of which we read this morning in chapter 15. A part that we did not read. Paul says this when he writes about Jesus' resurrection. He said, I deliver to you of first importance what I received. That Christ died For our sins, Christ died in accordance with the Scriptures. In accordance with the Scriptures, He was buried. In accordance with the Scriptures, He was raised on the third day. And in accordance with, with the Scriptures, He appeared to Cephas, to the apostles. And more than 500, He says, and to one untimely born, the risen Lord appeared to me. And then Paul in that letter goes on to say, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. And we of all people are most to be pitied. The bottom line is, Paul says, if we don't have the resurrection, we ain't got nothing we got another civic group. We have another religious organization. We have a way to do our best to follow a wise teacher who shows a manner of life. We've got a way to try to make ourselves feel good. But really, there is nothing of any real eternal consequence or power without the resurrection. Yes, it is Jesus Christ whose name we take and call ourselves Christians, but it is Jesus' resurrection that makes us who we are in the risen Lord. Not only did Paul talk about the resurrection as the one thing when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Paul making his identity in the risen one but Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself in His whole ministry spoke about and His words and His life, His walk, pointed to His death and His resurrection. John, when he spotted Jesus in his adult life, John the Baptist, how did he refer to Him when he saw Him walking? He said, look! There's the Lamb of God. Even the name that Jesus was called as He began His ministry speaks of who He was as the atoning sacrifice who would die for our sins by the shedding of His blood and unite us with God is rising victorious from the grave. And Jesus predicted His death and resurrection. He foretold it. He even set His face to go to embrace it. He prayed over it, and He gave Himself to it. Not My will, but Thy will be done. And Jesus even said about Himself in John 11, in His interaction with Martha at the grave of her brother Lazarus and Jesus' friend, when He said, I am the resurrection. And the life, he who believes in me, she who believes in me, even though they may die, yet shall they live. And he who, and she who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks Martha, Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? And Jesus asks us the same question. Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? It's a question for us. Do we believe in the resurrection of the dead, the one thing upon which all else hangs, the most important thing? Did you you see on the cover of the bulletin the, uh, the quote that I included from Tim Keller? How poignant. How clear. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that He said. If He didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what He said? the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like His teaching, but whether or not He rose from the dead. For if Jesus rose from the dead, then He is the Lord of all and the Master of our lives. My theology professor from Columbia Seminary wrote this, If we do not take our own Gospel about the Lordship of the risen Christ seriously, How can we expect anyone else to take it seriously? And that doesn't mean that we have it all figured out, that we understand it completely. No, it is a mystery, and that's okay. In that same letter to the church in Corinth in the 13th chapter, Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly. We we can only catch images and shadows. We do not see it clearly. But the day will come when we will see face to face. And we will know fully and understand fully even as we have been fully known. Yes, when we recognize this one thing, that is the crucified, the risen, and the coming Christ, who is and will be the world's Savior, then our task becomes an unbelievably humble, yet confident, even carefree and joyful enterprise. And like Paul then, we are willing to risk it all. Because in the face of the resurrection, it all changes. In light of this one thing, Life, death, and everything in between and beyond is never the same again. As I was thinking about all this, as I was thinking about this one thing this past week, I started thinking about it being All Saints Sunday. And I ask the question, why do we read the names of the deceased on or around All Saints Day? Is it because we want to honor them? Is it because we want to remember them? Is it because we love them? Is it because we miss them? Yes, 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 and yes, But more important than all of that, it is because we believe that we will see them again. Because of the resurrection. Because of this one thing. And Paul writes, Lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed and then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin, the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, the risen one. That is the one thing. And so, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your work is not in vain. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen.